Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? Oh, I'm doing great because we are coming to you live from the Chattanooga Film Festival. Um, For those of you who are seeing this for the first time, because you're Chattanooga Film Festival badge holders and just liked the idea of it rather than us personally. Um, Again, I'm Josh Miller. I am a filmmaker, largely screenwriter. I wrote Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2 and the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog 3, as well as the recent Christmas action movie, Violent Night. Uh, Steve here co-wrote the movie Beyond the Gates, and I think is best known, especially to those listening to our podcast, as the creator of the awesome documentary, Jodorowsky's Dune, of which this podcast is basically an ongoing extension of, and we talk about in every episode, as I said, interesting and often infamous movies that did not get made. And today we are extremely excited to be talking all things unmade tales from the crypt with two other established filmmakers uh, now with their own amazing podcast, How Not to Make a Movie. I am, of course, talking about Alan Katz, a.k.a. A.L. Katz and Gilbert Adler. How are you guys doing? I'm doing just fine. Happy to be here. Happy to meet you. Happy to be here. We are great, great, great. Uh, and uh, happy to be back from Chattanooga. We enjoyed the weekend there. What a that was my first time in, in, in Chattanooga. What a what a beautiful city. And what a great hotel, the Reed House, where the uh, where the uh, in in real life events were all being hosted. That was what a what a great venue. Uh, and can I say I'm impressed that you were there just yesterday in person and then had to <laughs> fly Bob all the way back. Mind. And here you are, functional and uh, zooming. Well, well me, me, me and my sinuses are on two different pages. <laughs> air travel just just fucks with me man oh my god we, we we just we actually don't know where we are today we we think we're i'm back in vancouver he thinks he's in la but i don't not so sure, i'm not sure we we can agree that we we're actually back <laughs> but carry on well diving into things so as i said we're going to be talking about all things unmade tales from the crypt uh i think of which the most famous now in part thanks to your own podcast was Dead Easy, the movie you started making before it got shanghaied and turned into Bordello of Blood, which did get made, but is also, again, as you go into great, painful, often hilarious length on your podcast, uh, could have been a whole different movie, too, than the one that hit the screens. Um, although, as I, I just love all Tales from the Crypt thing, so I still liked it. <laughs> I was sad they didn't make more. This, we talk about a, a lot on our podcast. I know it's considered at the time uh, it was a downgrade for, a, for you know a property to move into straight to video territory. Um, but I don't know, like some of those big franchises that eventually went that deck that direction, they start get really weird when they go straight to video. And I love some of those movies. Bordello of Blood still it gets played every every Halloween. It 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 comes around. It 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 has had a second life. That's happened to a couple of movies. I don't think it'll ever achieve Demon Knight status, and I don't think it it, it deserves to. <laughs> Maybe on 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 some level of, of um, pathetic movies, but that's just me editorializing. Yeah, I uh, and I the guess second movie I saw with my future wife was Bordello Blood. <laughs> Took it to the Burbank Theater to see it. 
Oh, and she's still married. You wait a second. She's still married. Wait, 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 right? Exactly. Did you go the? Did you go to Burbank the night that that Bordello of Blood opened? I know I went opening weekend, and I can't remember which night. If you went opening night, I was there, and you were one of the fifteen other people in the audience. And, and, and if yes. that's the case, I wanted to say thank you. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of people in the theater, but we were excited for it. That's being very polite. <laughs> there weren't a lot of people. In. I went out to the box office as because we, we brought a theater party. We had, you know, my wife and I and some friends. Aubrey Morris was was part of our theater party. And and, you know, you walk into the theater expecting, hey, at least half full, maybe, you know. Oh boy. Oh boy. I went out to the box office. I said, has it been like this all day? And she said, yep. <laughs> but, but Demon Night, I saw opening night. I know where, what theater, and that theater was packed and going crazy. So at least, at least it was that. <laughs> no, no need to be so rude, guys. You could be a little nicer. <laughs> <laughs> like, ouch. <laughs> ouch. Well, diving into things, Steve, why don't you get us going and please uh gil al like jump in if it seems like he's missing something uh we just i, I and again on your podcast a lot of this stuff is well documented so i'll just say yeah. to listeners who want even more information i highly recommend you check out their podcast because you, uh, you go into a lot of detail about the show itself which was you know i'm of the age where my family didn't have hbo but i had some friends whose family did and th- that was always the thing that I, you know, I wanted to try to go over there just for those episodes. So the idea that they started making movies when I was now of the age that I could see them without sneaking in was very excited to me. Um, Steve, so why don't you just get us going? Yeah, this is going to be about the, the movies. Uh, 1990, I mean, in 1988, the series was created. And in June 10th, 1989, the series first aired. And if we jump to October 1992, that's when I could find the official announcement that they were going to do Tales from the Crypt movies, like in the Hollywood Reporter, where it was like the Tales from the Crypt partners, Silver, Donna, Hill, Zemeckis, and Guiler are planning to translate HBO series into into what they hope to be a new suspense horror movie franchise for the 90s. And this article said that Don, Richard Donner, uh, Walter Hill, and Robert Zemeckis agreed to direct a feature-length movie on original stories. You know, so that was the first announcement. Of course, that changed. Do you? Yeah, do you, yeah. I see. I mean, I was going to say that to this, interject this is, there. This is for the YouTube audience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I, I was going to ask, like, that's obviously what gets announced in the trades. Like, what were those initial conversations? Uh, and, and especially when did you become involved in the conversations of, hey, we want to move this beyond the TV show? Well, I think the first thing that I remember Dick saying was when he heard that the announcement was made and that he was going to direct one, as was Bob and Walter. I think he looked at me and said, are they out of their fucking minds? <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Who, who put that out? <laughs> so it w- that was never going to happen. I mean, that was, you know, okay. as you said, it, w- it was part of the, the release to get eyeballs 
popping and to people get excited about it's it. It's Joel. You know, I, I'm sure yeah. Joel, Joel, you know, he ran the publicity part of it. And, you know, Joel's a showman. And it's you you promise the moon, the stars and everything beyond. And hey, hey, whatever you can deliver, that's what you deliver. And was the plan always to do a full story feature? Or was there ever talk of doing like a creep show style anthology movie? No, it was always it was always one story. There was never an idea of uh, of doing three episodes. That would be too much like this TV show. Yeah, and so we didn't want to do that. Uh, it was always going to be a, a full story, an hour and a half or thereabouts movie on itself. But what was that story? Because you know, in Tales from the Crypt, we hit on all different kinds of stories. We have vampires, we have ghouls, we have you know everyday people like you and I who do terrible things to each other. You know, so it was a question of okay, what what is that? What should we do as a movie that's going to be feel tales from the cryptish, but is not the series? And how many seasons in was the show when the features conversations began? Four. Four. Yeah, we when Gil and I went aboard tales at the start of the third season, that was supposed to be the last. And um, short story long, you know, what what Gil and I did, we reinvigorated not only the franchise but the Crypt Keeper. And I think the Crypt Keeper drove an awful lot of you know, what the franchise was, what it felt like, what it became. And at the end of the third season, not only did we not get canceled, but they ordered more seasons, you know, in the promise of, of more. So by the end of the fourth season, suddenly not only were we still alive, we were, you know, we were attracting Tom Hanks to direct episodes. And, you know, we were getting, yeah, we were, we were popping. And so it was, you know, wasn't the dumbest idea in the world to take that lightning in a bottle that we had created that I think everybody was feeling and to take it out in the future world. Yeah, so I have a question because I always hear rumors online and um, I was trying to figure out like, so the Frighteners and From Dust Till Dawn, were those really going to be uh, Tales from the Crypt movies at one point? Or were they seriously considered? In the yeah. hopper. In, yeah. in, in the hopper, yeah, for, for sure. Till, from Dusk Till Dawn, absolutely there were conversations. Yeah. And, and when you say conversations, was that like before Demon Knight was even selected? Like what was that process of kind of narrowing down the options? Scott Nimmerfro was very, uh, he was vital to the process. He was, he ran Dick Donner's uh, development. And Scott also was heavily involved in, in, in Tales from the Crypt. He wrote, I think, more episodes than anybody. And really some of the very best episodes are Scott's. And so Scott was, you know, he, he knew every good script in town, Scott, Scott knew. And so he was aware of, you know, he was aware of Frighteners, of course, and he was aware of, of, uh, of Tarantino. And there were, there were a couple other projects that, you know, Scott had put on the table for everyone to consider. There were, of course, many moving parts to each. And mm -hmm. so though we might've been interested in From Dusk Till Dawn, yeah, there, there were some other moving parts that didn't necessarily you know, jibe at that particular time. Yeah, because uh, according to my outline, I was trying to, I went to the library and I was going through magazines to put together an outline. And it, it feels like, yeah, the, it was announced in 92 and they were like, Walter Hill's going to direct the first one and it's going to go, it's going to go before cameras this fall in, in North Carolina. Oh, and, is it? <laughs> oh, is yeah. it? Oh. And, and then, That'd you know. Cool. 
Yeah, that, that didn't happen. And then the news doesn't come back again into 1994. And then that's when it seems like everything was more geared in, like they knew it's going to be Demon Night. It's going to be Fat Entertainment Tuesday. journalists will believe anything they're told. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, so I guess officially Demon Night gets announced as the first one. And what was it like? I mean, was uh, what was it like choosing Demon Night or did you have anything to do with that? Or how did that all happen? You go, Gil. <laughs> uh, I think there were, you know, we had a lot of conversations about what, what that movie should be. And Demon Light was one of the last maybe three scripts that we all could agree. Yeah, this is in the zone. This was feeling right. I was supposed to direct the first one. So I was going to direct Demon Knight. But I didn't really like the script as much as Dead Easy. And so I basically said, I'll take a, I'll take a pass and I'll, I'll do the second one. And we all agreed that fine, uh, that, that's that's you know, the partners agreed that we agreed that, and then we moved on from there, yeah. Because, like, May 1994, it's it's like announced, like, it hasn't been announced since '92. It's like the first announcement comes out, and it's like Dickerson, Dickerson will direct Demon Night, which will come out on October 28th to coincide right. with the premiere six season episode of Tales, right. and it also mentions. The other projects in the three picture deal are Fat Tuesday, which became Dead Easy, Dead Easy. and yeah. and Body Count, uh, which we interviewed uh, wow. Adam Rifkin about. So, did you uh, anything about that announcement with these other two movies? Sure, just never believe what you hear. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the purpose of that announcement was to get people jazzed up about there's going to be a movie. There's another season of Tales coming mm -hmm. and, you know, get ready and, and, and enjoy it and, and be ready for it and put down your money when we're ready to take it. But don't yeah. put any of this on your calendars, for fuck's sake. Yeah, the, the three <laughs> the three movie projection that's real Babe Ruth style pointing to, you know, where your home run's going to go. Right. Uh, but it, as, as pointing at the was, next county, too, <laughs> as Steve was saying, we had uh did a great episode a few years ago with filmmaker Adam Rifkin and just kind of offhandedly, he started talking about when Walter Hill approached him because he had this idea that it, before it was retitled Body Count, Rifkin was saying Hill wanted to call it Redneck Frank. That was, I think they even wrote a script, right, Steve? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like Rifkin and Hill wrote a script uh, and just the, the elevator pitch on that was, it was El, pa El Paso, Texas. And there's some vigilante going around and we keep seeing him get like mortally wounded, but never actually seems to get hurt and then the big reveal is that he's like a frankenstein style government experiment who who escaped and is now cleaning up the streets but i guess yeah like like during this process that's cool yeah yeah like like to I what extent it. were i like that did you know did you even like hear about these or was it kind of like joel was oh, yeah. just off on his own getting people to write scripts in the a little of both that, a little yeah. of both a little of both i mean we heard about them you know i know adam very well he was in those years, he was a really good friend. He, in fact, he just, I'll give, him a, I'll give him a plug. He just finished making a movie that he directed with our good friend, Malcolm McDowell. And they just finished shooting that about uh, two or three weeks ago, I think. So Adam was a really good filmmaker, a good writer. You know, when you, first of all, there's no such thing as a three picture deal. You know, when you get a three picture deal, you're lucky if you make the first one. And if you make the first one and it does well, then maybe you'll make the second one. Maybe. <laughs> and the third one, nobody talks about for months and years later. So, you know, when they announced, oh, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're gonna... that's just all, you know, to get you goosed up to, to watch the show and watch the movie. Right on. Yeah, because it almost seemed like, yeah, I guess 
Hill and him met when Hill was finishing Trespass. Mm-hmm. So, and then yeah. they started working on that together. And then it seemed like, and then another article I found, but I can't find proof if it's true. Zemeckis hired Jackson and, and Walsh to write The Frighteners, but Jackson right. liked it so much, it was just going to become its own thing. And so I, I, I guess... You know, like I said, there, there were things in the hopper, but not everything was really ever going to fall on, onto us. I think there was a blink of an eye when they talked about Frighteners, but it was okay. never really serious because I think Peter really was more interested in making it for himself and making it yeah. his, his initial movie and not having it under the banner of Tales. I, I remember seeing a copy of the script on Scott Nimmerfro's desk when sitting in Scott's office talking about episodes... And and he pointed to it and just he he loved it, you know. So it was close enough to touch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess talk a little bit about the you know because Fat Tuesday. Well, I guess actually first just talk about because Fat Tuesday started out. I couldn't find more information about the guy credited on the script, J.P. Kelly. J. P. I don't Kelly. know if that was the only thing he ever wrote that made it into the actual Hollywood system. But talk a little bit about that process of how that script came in. And obviously it was the one that you guys kind of fell in love with and wanted to do before Demon Knight. The, well, the, go ahead. The, well, I was say, the mandate for the three movies was three very different movies. And all right, so if, if, if the partners and everybody wanted the first movie to be a monster movie, okay, cool. Then, all right, then the second one should be as different as possible. You know, Gil and I also had ambitions beyond our. And we saw an opportunity to do, you know, to, for a breakout project of our own. And what we, what we loved about Fat Tuesday and what I think we evolved it into in Dead Easy was a, a psychological thriller in the don't look now vein. That well, that's was, interesting, thinking you know, of it through the don't look that now was, vein. Uh, that, was, that was the goal, something that was... Yes, because it were Tales from the Crypt. Yes, there were going to be horror elements, but we wanted to lean more heavily on psychological, on the psychological, you know, the emotional, the human beings. We 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 really wanted to make our characters pop, and we saw a great hero, we saw a great female lead, and we saw a kick-ass fucking villain. Oh, Dead Easy had. That's the thing that breaks my fucking heart. What a what a what a franchise villain the Harlequin could still be for somebody clever. No, you're you're right. Like I think if that would have came out, I swear to God, there would have been so many people with tattoos of it, action yeah. it, figures it of it. It would have become a fran- like, that that could have become a franchise in its own right. Because it, of that, because it had a great villain, a villain with that everyone understood, hey, a harlequin, tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. I mean, you could turn an innocent sound, tinkle, 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 into something fucking ominous. It, it, it's great. And we really wanted, we really thought, we really thought it could come become a, a franchise unto itself. And we we spent a lot of time designing what that harlequin would look like and how he would act and how he would move. And, uh, you know, it was a shame it never happened. By the way, if anybody knows where Kelly is, uh, I, we would love to talk to him. God, yes. God, yes. Yeah, just yeah. to say hello, even. Well, yeah, who saw, are you? <laughs> I saw some uh, concept art online. I just don't remember where I pulled it from. I'll have to send it to you. You, you, you know, it looked amazing. Well, before and, we uh, even get into the, the 
the conversation. Greg, Greg of- Melton did a he did uh, Greg Melton created a whole lot of terrific uh, yeah concept art for what it would have looked like. I was going to say before we get into talking about how close you got, but tell us a little bit about you know the, the pitch on the movie, like a little bit about the story and the primary characters. It's a recovered memory story. A guy subtly uh, midlife crisis, and he is he's always had this image in his head: swamps. The life he's living is somehow. And it turns out, yeah, he actually was, he was adopted when he was a, a baby. He was actually from a family in the swamps, a family of shamans who were guarding something. Uh, and one of the shamans kind of broke bad and uh, he tried to steal the soul of his, of his son to, to live, you know, live forever. Uh, he ends up in the nether region, but hey, he can get back to this place if he can grab the soul of his grandson. And that's what he does. <laughs> and it's up to the son now to, to deal with his father, who's, that's the Harlequin, really. Uh, he is, he's a shaman who broke bad. And he's got to get his son's soul back if he wants to see his son, his son again. Now, let me just ask the listeners straight up and down. Doesn't that sound like a great idea for a movie today? Forget that it was 25 <laughs> years ago. Or would you rather watch Bordello of Blood? <laughs> well, I would have loved to have both. I, I wish they'd made 10 Tales from the Crypt movies. Yeah, because yeah, I think it would have had such a cool impact too because there was like all these failed slashers in the 90s. It's not saying it's a slasher, but they were trying to recreate Jason and Freddy again with uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Giggles and Brain Scan, which I like. Oh, yeah. Then it was like Pope Pinocchio's Revenge and the Ice Cream Man, all these things that just didn't like connect and have sequels. But for some reason, when I was reading your script, it was killing me. I was like, oh my God, this was perfect for that you know well he's wearing uh, i guess yeah for listening to he's the character's called the harlequin we eventually learn what his human name was when he was human uh i guess now i guess harlequin people think of harley quinn um yeah. <laughs> whose name is a pun obviously but you know the he was going to be wearing the full like we would have school. owned it first. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Full Harlequin outfit. And, you know, his face is kind of half rotting away. And I like it as the nice gimmick where he can steal other people's faces to, you know, pretend to be yeah. them. So shapeshifter. He's a shapeshifter. Come on, man. Yeah. So towards the end, we get a little of that, like the thing fun where, you know, you, the twists of who it turns out to be. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, we, we played that gag uh, at least once he suddenly walks in the door as one character, you know, one of our hero characters and, you know, and it, that fools you know, another hero character and, uh Oh, so yeah, it, it, it was a great gimmick uh, that had, yeah, I think, I think we played all the mileage out of it that we can fly. <laughs> yeah. Great atmosphere with new Orleans and everything too. I mean, that would have been the oh, coolest part. Uh, the swamps, you just, you just, you, you take a boat through those swamps and man, that, that's, that's a horror movie unto itself. <laughs> and I love it. it has a very Tales from the Crypty opening where there's a bunch of like uh, low, was a low life criminal and some unfortunate locals that he's hired. That he's trying to drill in the swamp to find like oil or, you know, gas or something. And it turns a little bit uh, treasure of the Sierra Madre before the main thug starts working right. the drill all by himself and then unleashes the evil underneath. 
I mean, if you think of those images, if, if you if you comic book them, that's just classic tales from the crypt. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a uh, it's a, a a location you don't want to be in with characters you don't want to be around doing something they shouldn't ought to be doing. And and hell, someone's going to pay for this shit. <laughs> and the, and those were the those are the reasons those were the reasons why we really wanted to wait, and and do Dead Easy, or Fat Tuesday, and 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 not do the first one. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. In our in our minds, this was worth the wait, which made when you get to to the to the the thing you've been waiting for, and it was three weeks before we were starting formal production in New Orleans of of Dead Easy, that Universal pulled the plug and said, "No, you're not going to go down this road. You're gonna you're gonna stumble down this hill over here." Uh, and again, on your podcast, you go into the the painful nitty gritty we do, and a I, lot that's of this. Why we, but talk a little bit about uh, the casting on it. I, I always think that people, that's the thing I feel always most interesting in the kind of what if alternate timelines of, of hearing who was going to be involved in these projects. I, the one piece of casting that, that just sticks in my head that I, wow, we, 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 we would have hired uh, was, uh, um, oh, I just went up on her name. Uh, Robin, uh, Ro Robin Givens. No, no, no. That, that, that was, that was for, uh, for Bordello when we ultimately did it. Uh, some that we wanted to hire for, for, for dead easy. Uh, oh, Alan, Alan, Alan. Um, <laughs> she, she, she was, she was in uh, uh, from dusk till dawn. Oh, Selma Hayek. Uh, Selma Hayek. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I got it. Oh, I, I, wow, yeah. yeah uh, uh, an unknown Selma Hayek walked into audition for us. Nobody would, knew, knew who she was. Would and, she have been uh Ruby? I guess we didn't talk about Ruby, sort of the female lead who's a local TV psychic. Yes, she was going to be Ruby. That would have been great. Yeah. And so she walked in. She was amazing. Uh, I remember kind of looking at you know, Gil and, and uh, uh, Victoria Burroughs and I just, it's like a presence just walked into, your, in, into the room. And regardless of anything else and hire, that happened, whether you hired this person or not, you knew this person was going to succeed in this business. She had something. And uh, we would have been, yeah, I, I think we would have hired her. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I don't, I don't recall that we had any strong ideas in mind for Lloyd, the hero. I don't know that we had anyone in particular that we, that Victoria had put into our heads or in, under our noses for the, the Harlequin. We really had just started reading people in Los Angeles when then we, you know, we were back and forth to New Orleans. We had spent, you know, Greg Melton was there for six weeks. Oh, wow. Researching and, uh, you know, looking for stuff. And then we spent uh, you know, the better part of you know, a week to 10 days scouting locations, meeting up with, uh, you know, the people that would have been our, you know, our, our local staff. The only good thing that came out of that trip was we became quite friendly with uh, Emeril Lagasse. <laughs> there you, go. you know he he had just we we ate yeah, he great. just opened up one of his restaurants and we went there and he heard we were in town and he came over and he said does, does anybody have any allergies any anything you don't like to eat and we all sort of looked at him when like no i you know and he goes well would you allow me to make dinner for you guys and we said yeah great and then <laughs> okay. yeah and, and, Twist my oh, arm, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we became great, great friends with Emerald for a long time. It was a great meal. It was a great <laughs> that must meal. be incredible. 
Yeah, but but uh, yeah, so Demon Knight stopped shooting, and then you guys were immediately pretty much on Fat Tuesday. Yeah, we were. Demon Knight opened very very well. It got you know, it was it got good good reviews, and there was nothing really to get in the way of doing a second. Yeah, because what I was seeing is what what's wild is is that you know what, what when I said earlier they when they first announced that Dickinson was attached, it was May sixteenth, nineteen ninety four. Um, a couple of weeks later, like two weeks later, um, in Hollywood Reporter, where they have the films in production, they immediately had Fat Tuesday in there. And it was saying it's going to start January 15th. And so I was like, wow, that's really fast that they already had it in the films in production. That's that's, that's Joel. Yeah, just don't believe, <laughs> don't believe everything. Listen, don't believe I know, everything I you I learned that a lot. I learned that a lot in all the research I do on this podcast because I always like to put up the dates and mention it and just to have the people on the other side tell me like, I mean, sometimes they're like, I haven't heard of that news. But uh, yeah, so Demon Knight comes out January 27th. It did very well that opening weekend. And then Joel Silver was interviewed and he was talking about the next thing we're doing is in New Orleans. That's how, but that's how yeah. you do it. You know, you, you, you move, you move the ball down the field and suddenly you know, the money goes, well, I guess we, yeah. we are as well. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, the films in production again in January, it was like uh dead easy, formerly fat Tuesday starts February 9th. So they were really gunning for it in the beginning of the year. And oh, then yeah. what, and then, cause I'm listening to your podcast and you guys talk about it and you just mentioned briefly how fast it switched over in the Hollywood report of films and production. Like then like two weeks later, then that's when it changes to Bordello of blood and all the information is still about, you know, dead easy underneath it. They didn't even change that information for another like couple of months until. <laughs> no, yeah. It does not live yeah. here anymore. No forwarding. <laughs> and I was like, Oh man, what a, you know, it's so heartbreaking to read because like how deep you guys were in this movie. And then we, we should have stuck its face on the milk bottle. <laughs> Harlequin on the side, but thinking about the concept art you're talking about, I'm kind of, could you talk a little bit from what you even remember? Uh, I don't know how, if you still have all this concept art, but the whole climax where our hero Lloyd basically sends the Harlequin back to hell, but then Harlequin, as he's kind of going down as a final fuck you, grabs Lloyd's son Danny's soul and takes it with him. So Lloyd, almost like a cliff jumper, has to go down to hell, and there's this whole extended sequence that's them fighting in hell that says some very, again, tales from the crypty kind of jokes. I made a note of here where they're passing like a, I just, again, trying to think about the visual. It's like a, a, a river of like just bodies and Harlequin, like, you know, like the view, I called this bridge over troubled waters. Hard not to envision in the John Kassir voice on that one. You know, ironically, just as Universal went to pull the plug, that was the thing we were talking about. And we were having conversation with Greg Melton about, all right, how are we going to visualize this because this now is a complete creation of ours. It's a completely imagined imagined world, and I don't know the answer to that <laughs> so question because happened, literally, yeah. as we went to answer it, as suddenly, where did our legs go? <laughs> Are we going to say, Gil? No, I was going to say as we were answering that question. I actually, actually, we were in New Orleans. And we were sitting around a table together and we're actually talking about that very imagery when the phone rang. And we got off the phone and said, I, I don't know if this is real or not, but 
They want us to come back, stop doing what we're doing, stop spending money, come back, and there's another plan, and we'll we'll hear about it tomorrow. But we gotta we gotta leave now. I I have no memory of the flight home, which suggests to me that I was not sober. <laughs> no, I don't remember the flight home either. <laughs> it was it was really that it was it was horrible news. It was it was crushing because obviously something we I think we we weren't being told there's not going to be a movie we were told there's, there's going to be something else and nothing good could possibly come of what was about to happen i mean you, you just felt it that that a whole man we were we were on a super highway into one particular future and, and we were about to get on a back road to somewhere else but it just but that, just you know, just from your question about that imagery yeah. you know that that told, told us even way back then that we were on the right track for Tales from the Crypt, that that imagery, we knew we could make it great. We knew we could make it very Tales from the Crypt. And that was exciting for us. Well, and especially against something, you know, that you talk about on your podcast was when Joel and in his infinite wisdom decided to pay Dennis Miller whatever he wanted, the movie didn't get more money. You had to find that movie from your other departments, right. which included the special effects department, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. So also that was so where the money dead was easy, unless who knows, unless he'd gotten the brilliant idea that uh, Dennis Miller should have been Lloyd. Uh, it also seems like dead easy would have proportionately had a higher budget for the special effects than Bordello. If if I'm reading that correct from your stories, I don't remember. I, I don't remember what that budget looked like yeah. at the moment. I, I mean, I just don't 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 recall that. But I do know that all of these movies they're all very challenging. You know, you have the makeup effects, you got the visual effects. You got, they're all very challenging. It's always a question about money. It's always a question about time. When you're in when you when you're in a great situation. And then when it's when when you're hampered further by the fact that that money is reduced because it's going to for something else like an actor, then you realize, my God, you, you don't know, want. It's really it's really times <laughs> more frightening. Uh, well, I mean, I could talk forever about your making of Bordello stories, but again, you already have a whole podcast that goes into you know, and, and I think every movie has some fun anecdotes from it, but Bordello definitely is the, the kind of production that really has some <laughs> a whole podcast worth. I, I think about. we, I, I think we got somebody else's anecdotes uh, by accident. <laughs> yeah. Doubled up on them. <laughs> if only we could have given them away. Um, but I mean, Steve, do we want like, let's maybe talk a little bit about kind of now the fallout. Cause I am curious how long, like, did it just, the Tales from the Crypt movie brand, did it just like, stop dead after Bordello or did it kind of like limp on with discussions of maybe we could do this maybe we could do that could we take it straight to video because I guess for maybe younger listeners or viewers who might not remember or know in the 90s straight to video wasn't as cool as going to the theaters but they were they were spending real money on those movies back then well we we weren't straight to video we, yeah. we opened yeah. in in a manner of speaking I think after that, everyone lost their appetite. Understandably so. Why? Why wouldn't they? And as Gil pointed out, you know, a three-picture deal is that's a, it's, it's all if come. And in the case of Bordello, the fact that that Joel went along with this, obviously he did not care about this franchise. 
because and and all throughout the making of Bordello, he chose the feature film he was making and its lead actor over our franchise. An odd choice to make, very short-sighted. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah. This is, but th- this, but this was the thinking. Such yeah. a bummer. Could I? I mean, you know, I don't need to tell you guys. It could have kept going. Yeah, yeah, because there was the the Saturday morning cartoon was just about to start too, and it keeps the yeah. you know it keeps it going. The you franchise. know, hey, either you respect your franchise or yeah. you don't. And uh, alas, Joel Joel loved the benefits of his franchise, but he didn't accept any of the responsibilities of maintaining it. It's it's it, and that's work, really and truly. It's it's work. You got to do it every day. You keep especially if you want to keep it going, and. He took it for granted. He that happens. And I'm trying to remember from things you said on your podcast. Obviously, while you were in Bordello, I'm sure you didn't have a whole lot of time to think about anything other than trying to save that production. Um, but but I am curious if you were still kind of thinking again to the future of what were you were you hoping that Bordello would do well and then Dead Easy would be the third film. Were there any kind of, were there other scripts still coming in to this sort of, again, pipeline? Yeah. When you're making, when you're making a movie, it's all, it's, it's, it's everything you can think about. I mean, there's really, there's really nothing else to talk about or think about except how you're making that movie and what, you know, what are you going to shoot in the next half hour or what are you going to shoot tomorrow? It's uh, so there's really no time for conversation or even thought about, you know, what's, what happens after. After will happen after. And and yeah, and, and the only ancillary stuff that we could we could talk about was the next season of Tales from the Crypt, which you know had to get organized at oh, the man, same I time. Yeah. That. yeah, you know, that that also, you know, the, the the meter is running. And so you've got to get scripts organized, you gotta you gotta begin to put that together too. Yeah. Yeah. In the alternative universe after Fat Tuesday, or I mean dead easy, we would have got it looks like from what the trade said and what Rifkin said, we would it would have been uh body count, which as we already described sounds sounded pretty awesome. So missed out on such a good trilogy. If if you're gonna blue sky, you know, if all right, let, let's say we had made dead easy and let's all right, let's blue sky and say that dead easy would have been the movie that Gil and I aspired to make and had been successful and and opened some some additional doors that also might have impacted what the third movie was mm-hmm. yeah and so it, it's you know once uh success changes everything and uh, who knows by then there might have been something along the lines of, of you know, dusk till dawn that was uh, that was a hot script that that joel would have seized upon as being, you know, the more marketable. You know, the, 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 initial re, the, the initial thought with these movies was to make three very different movies. We didn't want to make the same movie over and over again because it's Tales from the Crypt. They had to be very different. Mm-hmm. So anthological. So, so if we had done the second one is Dead Easy, which had much more thriller element to it. And a lot of our Tales from the Crypt show itself had thriller element to it, as well as all the other horror issues and elements that might have extended the life of uh, of the series of movies. To a degree, what Dark Castle was trying to do, in, in, in theory, that could have been part of what the Crypt franchise evolved into. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess, Gil, when, I mean, I'm assuming clearly not, but I guess I'm nonetheless curious, when Dark Castle was starting, because, I mean, mm-hmm. 
Kat's pointing out, you know, it in a way it's kind of was just making more tales from the crypt movies. Was was there ever any what? thought of trying to do like House on a Hunted Hill, trying to keep the brand alive, or did everyone it was just so thoroughly dead and no, no, no they, they, Dick was uh uh Joel was on to the Dark Castle idea and and having another company. He had had it, I think, with the crypt estate. Yeah. And he had it with most of the people in Tales from the Crypt. And he just wanted to start something new and and went after in a very different way because he was talking about Hammer movies, remaking Hammer movies. We made remake of, of Bill Castle movies. And so it, it, the approach was a little bit different in terms of where do you get the material from or how do you create material? Yeah. It, but it, it was still, you know, uh, in the sense that Tales from the Crypt was a collection. Yeah. And all these other things are a, a branded collection. So, you know, then you don't have to think of anything. It's just redo brand you know, pieces yeah. of the collection. You know, it, it's, it's very, very clever. Joel, he's, he's really smart. And I think that's another thing people forget about too, uh, is how many big names were attached to Tales from the Crypt uh, TV and movie French. You know, it's a lot of people to deal with. And I mean, uh, to what extent, was everyone really weighing in on the scripts? I'm assuming not really <laughs> the, the other oh, names. Oh, are... no, no, no. Ooh. No, no, no. They were all weighing in on the scripts. Oh, no. <laughs> they were all weigh- and And each of them had uh, departments in their own companies of development people. In fact, the, the, the initial conversation I once had with Scott Nimifro, who was in his own right a very good writer and became a really good friend of ours along the way, was uh, he once came to us very early on and he had notes and we, we would get notes from like HBO and then five development people who worked for these other guys. Right. So we would get, we would get notes up to kazoo. And so I, he once came in and he said, I have a note. And I said, what is it? And he told me it. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to hear any, any more notes from you because we shot that scene yesterday and, it, and you didn't know that. And you should have known that because it doesn't do me any good to give me a note on a scene we shot yesterday. And so we had, we had plenty, plenty of people giving us notes left and right. Scott got better very quickly <laughs> as a result. And, and he, 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 he adapted very quickly, which is why he ultimately became part of the team by the time we were done. He, he was a great asset and he, he was a great friend. I mean, to, to both of us, we, we loved working with, with Scott. And he, would, hey, he had this very dogmatic kind of sense of humor about him, which we both... Very Midwestern. What? Midwestern, yeah, yeah. I say very, very yeah. Midwestern. I mean, really Cohen brought yeah. his territory. And we, uh, and we just really, we just really uh, loved him. He, we, we, in fact, we loved him so much that when we took Tales from the Crypt to England, we took him with us. Said, you're coming with us. He, he, he was the first writing staff we ever had. <laughs> it, was, you know, it was season seven. Just thinking of that gauntlet yeah. of notes to get through, Ugh, giving me oh, it chills. was wild. It was wild because <laughs> we get it from HBO, two or three executives in HBO, the partners, the dominions of the partners. Alan and I would beat each other up <sighs> and, on, uh, with notes from, to each other from each other. And and you have to understand there was tremendous politics between, especially Joel's company and Dick's company, and so between Scott and uh, I forget there was a the guy who was. Schneider? the was point person from no steve steve t- t- i forget i but he he was part of the, the the mix but the politics between them all was really tough so they were competing with each other 
and we were the prize. And so they weren't nice to us. They weren't nice to each other. It was, it was, it was, it wasn't a, well, because it's Joel, you know, Joel loves that, that competitive monstrous, you know, it's a dog eat dog world. We're all just different flavors of Alpo environment. So we would, we would basically listen to all of them and then do what we wanted to do and basically fuck them. Cause that was the only way we could function. And that yeah. was the only way we would work. And, and we, we thought we had such a good idea about it. And we had such a strong working relationship, Alan and I, that we felt, you know, we know what we're doing. And if you don't like it, fire us. But we're not going to tolerate this bullshit of, you know, this is going to be mm. a, a kitchen, you know, a, 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 where we have 75 cooks. A, 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 a kitchen cabinet <laughs> of a kind. You know, after a while, they began to trust yeah. us. And I think a key moment where they suddenly decided, well, I guess the guys kind of know how to do this without us, was when Bob Zemeckis asked us to rewrite Yellow. And the problem was, you know, that was supposed to be the last episode of season three. That was going to be the last episode of Tales from the Crypt. It just became the last episode of season three and a very big episode. But Bob's vision was, you know, he, he wanted to redo Paths of Glory. And Kirk Douglas mm-hmm. is the star of Paths of Glory. He wanted Kirk Douglas to be the, the star of this episode of Tales from the Crypt. What a great get. The problem was the script that was written by a couple of big feature guys sucked. It, it, it just, it, it played, you know, he, he, I guess he, they assumed it was a comic book. You write at a comic book level. Well, no, even comic books have emotional depth. And so what Gil and I did was what we always do. We, we, you know, we invest in, in the characters and that got Kirk Douglas and suddenly Bob became fans of our writing and of our ability to tell Tells from the crypt stories. And suddenly, yeah, I think everyone backed off challenging us and questioning us. And then, of course, we got ordered for another season that was never supposed to be there. And suddenly, yeah, there, there were still notes and, you know, and there was still a gauntlet that had to be run of one kind or another. But it got easier as the seasons went on. And, you know, I think as much as they could, our partners, uh, our, 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 our executive producers, development people became a little more part of the process as opposed to, you know, people standing as, as opposed to attacking us. They used to love to attack us. And also, you know, Bob thereafter, when he would do uh, a tales from a crypt, we, Alan and I wrote those, those scripts and, and, you know, that, that spoke a lot. The, the only other thing that I would say is that, and I think this happened maybe earlier on, which helped us a great deal. Uh, Donner once was shooting, I think he was shooting a lethal movie. And he said that Bill Gaines was in town and he invited us over for lunch. He said, yeah, come on over. We'll have lunch. It'll be fun, you know? And uh, we, we figured, you know, for a, a catered good meal, we could, we could handle that. And so we went over <laughs> to his tra- trailer and there was Joel and all the partners and, and, and uh, Bill Gaines. And uh, Joel said jokingly uh, to Bill, so, so, Bill, you happy with these guys or should we get rid of them and get some really talented writers? And I figured, <laughs> holy shit, this, this is an ambush. We're going to get fired. It's a setup. Is, we're going to get fired right now. I thought we're having a good lunch and we're going to get fired. And I was like, I, t- I must have turned very pale. And I looked, I looked at Bill and Bill, without missing a beat, looked right back at Joel and he said, I only have one thing to say about these guys. You, you should hire them for a life contract. Sorry, hire them for life. <laughs> And so I think that 
you know, once they once that oh. that helped a lot. Once you know, when we got and we, the way we got Bill was, you know, we would say to Bill, "Look, we don't really care about anyone else's opinion. We only care about yours," which is true. And we would say, "We're going to send you scripts before we send them to HBO, before we get them to the partners, before anyone sees them. We want you to look at them, and if you l- like them, great. If you don't like them, this is what's going to happen. We're not going to argue with you about why we're right and why you're wrong, or what." If you don't like it, we're going to fix it. Or if you don't like the whole thing, we're going to throw it out and rewrite it. That's how Al and I are going to work. It's most important for us, since you created the whole background with these comic books with your dad in the 50s, the most important thing for us is to make sure that you're really happy with this show. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? Mm. For me, me doing this show, I mean, I grew up a fan of the comic books of mad magazine you know I, I grew up i was born in 1959 so i was right there in, in in its sweet spot and to to suddenly be working for bill gaines uh taking his creation that i loved as a kid and putting it into another medium uh, you know you, you you can pinch yourself as much as you like it never quite seems real to have his blessing is like uh, it's like god giving you you know his his you're okay, okay, man. Sit beside me here. You know, I say that as an atheist, but it, it really was. It was like it was like God saying. You're and we cool. became very good friends with Bill. I mean, we we would see Bill every time he would come to L.A. He, in fact, it caused some problems because he wouldn't call the partners, but he would call us. And he and, and he and when he came to L.A., he would only eat at Musso Frank's. And I didn't I didn't realize this. And so one time he came out and I said, Hey, Bill. I got. I want. I want to try this new place and my treat. You know, let's go. He goes. What are you talking about? We we can't go there. I go. Well, why can't we go there? I don't. I don't go anywhere else. I only go to Musso Frank's. And did, did you notice when you come to New York, we only go to Jackson Hole on Sixty Fourth and Second <laughs> Avenue. I don't go anywhere else. Musso's does have a great martini. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, among other among was, other things. Speaking of the comics. And I'm guessing the answer is no, but I'm curious nonetheless. Just thinking of how, like, you know, the first Star Trek movie, they basically redid and expanded one of the episodes from the original Star Trek. Was there ever any thought of, like, taking uh, an episode from the show that you always felt could have been so much bigger than a half-hour script and turning that into a movie? No (laughs) such thing. It was hard enough to turn... The goddamn comics into, yeah. into yeah. 25 minutes no, or, or to 30 minutes because it was HBO. We, we could go 30 minutes. You know, the, the comic books themselves were very simple yeah. constructions. It, it's, it's, it really, it's the, the, the setup to the punchline and then you go back and you, you tell the rest of the story and then you see the punchline. You know, guy wants to be head of the company and the last panel is going to be cut off his head <laughs> on a pole outside the company. Yeah, was there- you got what you wish for. Yeah, I mean, really, it's be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. And, you know, in, and, and all the characters are, are scumbags. I mean, one of the things that we changed about Tales from the Crypt, because we looked at the comic books, we had a great deal of respect for the creation of the comic books. But the comic books really were just what Alan said. There was just a beginning. And then if, after the first two panels, you knew the whole, you know where it was going. And it was, it was, no okay, it was okay to no read myth. it, but it wasn't okay to perform it that way. And so we basically would take the title of the comic book. We would take, we would glean something, uh, whether it be an effect, a relationship, or uh, whatever, scratch and recreate everything. Well, was there any 
unmade Tales from the Crypt episodes you wish would have got made or? By the, as the seasons went on and we went through, you know, there are a lot of comic books, but not all of them were even as comic books were that good. And not too many of them really were that translatable into 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 shows some of them were interesting ideas but way beyond our capacity to produce and many of them were the same story told in a different way i was gonna say yeah we didn't want to repeat ourselves and we would say you know we would look at them and and then alan and i would argue with each other go wow why don't we do this no we can't do that it's the same as this one or this one no we can make it different we'll change it this way and then we would look at each other and go ultimately at at the end of the day it's a riff on a show we've already made we're not we're not doing that yeah by the time we got to season six, it was getting real <laughs> hard. It was, man, scraping the bottom of the barrel. I think by the time we got to season seven, this was what was under the barrel. <laughs> Thank you. Um, did, did a project, oh, I just had two last things, but um, I kept seeing this rumor online that there was another tale, so, so-called Tales from the Crypt movie that would have been about a documentarian who discovers his uncle's dark secret it's been written about a few times. I guess his uncle's dark secret is that he was a serial killer. Do you remember that by any chance? Or is that maybe it's just a rumor that that was one of the ideas for a movie? I don't remember that at all. Okay. That was also called Body Count, I guess. And uh, there was another, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. The title so, so much, apparently. Yeah, it's been written about a few times. So I just wanted to ask. And then in 2002, they released the third Tales from the Crypt movie or it was called tales from the crypt presents ritual do you have an i know you you guys were probably both gone by that i, I think the title the title should have been uh tales from the crypt presents a contractual <laughs> obligation <laughs> i've never watched it but i didn't even know it existed until like yeah i was about to say i don't even ago. know what you're talking about <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah you- he, here's here's here, here's here's what what happened i don't know this i'm just guessing uh, Joel needed money. He twisted Universal's arm to get them to to put it okay. out. Interesting. Yeah, I never watched. I had no idea it existed until <laughs> a couple of years ago. I was like, wait, there's a third Tales from the Crypt movie? I would have known about this. The, I, I think there's a Crypt Keeper. Is there a Crypt Keeper no, seg- no. segment? They, they just used yeah, the title. Yeah. They Tales basically sold off the yeah. title for that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a contractual obligation. At the beginning of this episode, you'll remember I said, part of me kind of wished there'd been straight to video Tales from the Crypt movie. Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) There you go. You got it. As the Crypt Keeper always (laughs) says, you might just. (laughs) Well, I mean, they gave us an hour and it's been an hour. I think, thank you guys so much for joining us and yeah. answering all our questions. Um, again, people should check out your podcast. I'm, by the way, I'm glad you kept your podcast going, even though yes. I know. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Now, now here's, here's one thing that we're going to insist upon. You guys are going to have to return the favor in, like, in relatively soon. You guys need oh, to do we'd our love podcast. To. Absolutely. It's the circle of life. And then we'll ask you questions that you don't really feel like you you even remember. (laughs) What do you mean? I'm going to spend an hour talking about Freddy's nightmares. That's freaking awesome. You guys are on that. So anyway, love it. All right. Well, oh, great. If if, if that's the deal, then... we can we can wrap this up and, and all get on yeah, with our lives. Steve and I always like to close our episodes. This is Steve and Josh saying we won't see you at the movies. 